We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 258. Earlier this summer, I went on vacation to the south of France, and it was incredible. But one of my favorite parts was just literally not doing a thing. We had an Airbnb for one of the locations that we stayed at. And for two days, I think I just sat by the pool under an umbrella and read a book. And not just any book. I read the book Dark Horses, and it was incredible. I read it so quickly from cover to cover, and it was just one of those amazing reads that you can't put down. It had me, you know, as soon as I read the first chapter, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. This is so messy. This is making me a little uncomfortable. I cannot stop reading. So as soon as I got back, I talked to my team and I said, oh my gosh, we have to get this author on the podcast. I need to ask her all the questions. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, author of Dark Horses, Susan Mahalik. Hi, Susan. Hi, Bethany. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. I am so excited to talk to you about your book. I just recently read it when I was on vacation and I literally saw the back cover, the sleeve, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get Susan on the podcast. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. um, I would love to hear a little bit about your kind of like equestrian history. Have you been heavily involved in the horse world? Um, How did you kind of get started? Um, I got started on my grandfather's very old mare. (laughs) Um, There were three of us girls in the family. And I think all of us equally loved and love horses. So um, my grandparents had a dairy farm and I used to ride their farm horse. And so did my sisters and I was really little. So I always had to ride with somebody and I always wanted to ride on my own, um, which I did later riding neighbors horses without their knowledge or their permission. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually I got my own horse. I had a childhood horse, um, which was a fantastic experience, but I never have competed. I've never ridden competitively. I'm not competitive when it comes to riding. I just want to improve and be better for myself and for my horse. Mm. Um, I did teach therapeutic horseback riding when I was in college for two summers at a camp in Florida. And then I taught in San Diego. I was a volunteer for a couple of years at Helen Woodward Animal Center in Rancho Santa Fe. And um, after volunteering for a couple of years, I was hired as an instructor. And that's really my horse show experience because for two years, we took our riders to a statewide horse show for riders with disabilities. So that's, that's where I picked up a lot of the horse show atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, you are the author of Dark Horses, um, which is about a 15-year-old equestrian girl, Roan Montgomery, and her dynamic and relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about 
how you had, you know, whether it was the inspiration or the idea around this premise? This idea um, came to me a long time ago. And I've, because there has been some abuse in the horse world, as well as in um, other sporting disciplines, I feel mm-hmm. like I need to say it isn't based on anyone real. It's not anyone <laughs> that people might have heard of. Right. Um, Monty, not going to lie, I googled Monty Montgomery <laughs> to see yeah, if he was yeah. real. <laughs> He's a figment of my imagination, my dark, twisted imagination. Yeah. I was really interested in a couple of topics here. One is is power. Who has it? And in Monty and Roan's family, Monty is the one with the power. The mother can make Roan's life miserable, but she's, she doesn't really have the power. Right. Um, I wanted to see how Roan might claim her own power from this overbearing, abusive father that she has. Um, it has to do with claiming our histories and even claiming our shame and converting our shame into power. And then you have to look at with power and control, who gets it, how they wield it and how they harness it. Because what's the old saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. Um, How do you harness that so that you don't become a monster, perhaps like the man who raised you? Right. Right. And yeah, that, that I know while I was reading it, I was half expecting or waiting for a little bit more of a, I don't know, like a reason why Monty acted the way he did. Did you ever like consider having like a backstory for people to maybe have some sort of understanding about why he did the things he did? What was kind of your approach to him as a character? Um a couple of things. He did not. So I have backstory in my own mind. Um, he did not receive very much affection from his father. It's a very hard family that she mm-hmm. grew up in. So this is affection and love that becomes like my imagination, dark and twisted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, he has no compunction about what he's doing in his mind, which is, you know, not a very good place to be in his mind, he, he really loves her. And she comes to see that later that he really does love her. He just doesn't know how to show it. The other thing is um, very often with incest, I'll throw the word out there. Mm -hmm. um, Very often the abuser sees the child as someone that he made or someone that she made a part of him or her and feels that, you know, they feel that they've got a claim over this person. They've, they, this person has no autonomy because it's a part of them. Hmm. So that, that is kind of how the relationship spiraled in their case. Yeah. And I feel like obviously for, for those who haven't read dark horses yet without giving too much away. I mean, the main storyline in the book centers around incest, which I feel like is a topic that isn't often touched on or talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, But you wanted to, you know, partially use this book to maybe open up this conversation. So what would you say, I mean, obviously with so many different avenues that you could go, 
what would you, I mean, how did you go about kind of unraveling this story? Like, did you know from the beginning and the, with the premise of incest, did you already kind of have in mind what you wanted the ending to be like or, or how you wanted to, it to unravel? Yes. Um, I knew that at the end, Ron was going to claim her own power and um, she was going to have to how can I say this without giving away too much? <laughs> she was going to have to take it. It was yeah. not going to be offered or given to her. Um, so I had the ending in mind when I started the story. Now the ending took some different forms. Um, there were, there were variations on the theme, mm. but basically this, this is how I wanted the ending to be. Yeah. And um, I didn't want him to get off too lightly. And um I wanted her superpower to be her compassion Mm. in the end. Most people would not have compassion for this person. And it may be hard for some of the readers to understand, but as Roan herself says, you know, it, our relationship had never been black and white. So there are infinite shades of gray in their relationship. And she could have totally turned her back on him at the end and chose instead to temper this power that she now has with compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a really unique way. I mean, there were a lot of twists and turns at the end. I was not expecting um, how it all unraveled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely threw me for a loop in multiple ways. But I think that, um, yeah, you're right. Maybe the initial reaction is for people to be like, why is she like, why is she acting this way? Why is she um, treating him this way um, when all of these things happened? And I do think, I mean, I think it does have a really, a really compassionate and there is that like extra addition of maybe even like realism with, with the idea of, you know, even though she has taken back her own power, um, Mm -hmm. there is, it, it still is a process and growth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that, you know, towards the end of the book, while she has, you know, made this huge progress, I think maybe, uh, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, um, that it still is like such a, a process and, and something different than how she has lived her entire life up until that point. That's, that's very true. You know, she's responsible for so much more at the end of the book than mm-hmm. she was at the beginning. So, you know, just the practical considerations are part of that as well. But she, she's the kind of, writer and competitor and person who can rise to the occasion. Even if and when her father dies, she still has to live with what their relationship was. Mm-hmm. With the way that the book ended, was there um, an idea in your mind about having book two? Or what? what's kind of like as an author, what is your process when you are kind of storyboarding this and making kind of, you know, in the big picture of this storyline? I've, I've kind of given some thought to that. At first I thought, no, there's no book to, this is how it ends. Mm-hmm. But recently <laughs> I have given some thought to, you know, where is she going to be 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road? Right. Um, what's her life going to be like? And mm-hmm. so 
I'm not saying, oh yes, I'm writing book two, um, but I'm not saying that I'll never write book two. It's it's in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah. I would love to hear kind of the dynamic, I guess, switching gears a little bit to the idea of having a a product, having a book within the equestrian industry. Um, what was that mm-hmm. dynamic for you? Because um, I know before you were an author, you were still within this community um, as an editor. Yes. And so tell me a little bit about how that transition was and then what it was like to, I mean, I found your book at Barnes and Noble. So it's not like I was, mm-hmm. you know, on a specific equestrian website or anything like that. I found it in, in normal right. life out in the wild. Um, but obviously this, this book definitely gears towards both equestrians and non-equestrians. And I feel like you ride that line so nicely mm-hmm. with the book. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that dynamic was. Was that maybe something that you thought through all along um, to be able to kind of marry both worlds together when it came to the book? You know, I couldn't have set this in any other sport. When I had the thought about um, writing a story about incest, um, this incest stories are out there and they, they've been told. So I wanted to do something to set this apart. One of the things I decided to do was be explicit with the abuse. I didn't want to cross the line between being explicit and going into torture porn. That's, you know, not my thing. It's not appropriate in this situation, but I wanted to come right up against that line. And I deliberately wanted to make the reader uncomfortable. I think a lot of books about uncomfortable topics often fade to black. And I thought Rome doesn't get to fade to black. I'm writing it in first person because I feel that that gives me more insight into the narrator. So I'm writing it in first person. Ron's not fading to black. I don't want the reader to have the luxury and the comfort of fading to black either. Hmm. I mean, you can always put the book down if it gets too intense. You can pick it up later, you know, when you feel more geared, you know, geared up for it. But um, I, I wanted to be very explicit and show people what this abuse is like. You know, I wanted to be in her mind. Um, she feels great shame and shame and she's humiliated. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the most shameful things to her is that despite everything, she actually loves her father. Mm-hmm. And she says at one point, you know, my God, he even gets parenting rights some of the time. Mm-hmm. She, it's, he, he, you know, can be different people for different occasions. And she sees all these different facets of him. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I wanted to do was really develop their relationship and show, you know, not just the physical abuse, but how tight they are um, in terms of, you know, their ideas about riding and training and competing. They're, they're both very geared toward success and um, they're very conscious of her career. So that's one thing that, that was the major part of the book. So I wanted to up the stakes for all that. You know, I didn't want this to be a private family. I wanted them to be somewhat in the public eye to up the stakes and up the pressure on her because the more you can pressure your main character, um, the more uncomfortable you can make your main character, the more that's going to come through for the reader. And it is going to give you that keep turning the pages feeling. So though, in a sense, the horse world is the backdrop for the story. 
but it's not just a backdrop. As I said, I couldn't have written this with any other sport in, in mind. I know that there has been abuse, say, in gymnastics. I don't know anything about gymnastics. Um, And I'm not, you know, um, an expert by any means on three-day eventing. But I think my strength as a writer of this particular book is that I I know horses. I know my horse. I think that's, you know, as a rider, R-I-D-E-R, that's also my strength. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm... not the greatest rider out there, but I really know my horse. And um, I I think that's really important. So the horse world is a backdrop, but it's more than a backdrop. I am so excited because the World Equestrian Games are on August 6th through the 14th in Herning, Denmark. As much as I would have loved to trek over to Denmark and watch them in person, I am so happy that Clip My Horse TV has all of the events for you. The World Equestrian Games are a bunch of top athletes around 70 nations that meet together, this time in Denmark, for the World Equestrian Games. This is four different disciplines, jumping, dressage, paradressage, and vaulting. And the World Championships are also a qualification for the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. So a lot is at stake, but you can head over to clipmyhorse.tv starting August 6th through the 14th and watch all the action. Again, that is clipmyhorse.tv to watch all of the World Equestrian Games. Yeah, and again, I I feel like you did such a nice job. Um, I know we've all read horse books that um, kind of fall on the other side of that line where it's like, Oh, the like, or like, oh, this is a little cheesy, or like, oh, this is like not quite right. And I feel like you did a really nice job of, um, with the details, um, so that someone who's not in three day eventing would still, you know, be able to wrap their head around maybe the concept. But for Mm -hmm. an avid equestrian reading the book, they could fully be like, yep, that checks out. Like, yep, this all makes sense. Um, so I feel like Mm -hmm. they did a really nice job with that. Um, the book's been out. Out for a little over a year, correct? Or just shy of a year? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, it came out in February of 2021 in hardcover, ebook, audiobook, um, large print. <laughs> and the paperback came out in October okay. of 2021. Tell me a little yeah. bit about what your what your kind of mindset was with the book coming out? I mean, was this your first book that came out? Um, Were you expecting the level of success that you had? Give me kind of the rundown of your thoughts. I will say it's, I've always dreamed (laughs) of, you know, holding my book in my hands. And the day the books came in and I got to do that um, was really, really exciting. And, you know, I'm old school. I'm doing the whole nine yards. I'm smelling the book and, you know, oh, it smells so real. Um, It was very exciting. And the reviews started coming in before the the book was actually before it actually hit bookshelves Mm -hmm. and which was really nice because I think that spurred some sales and it got starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, Booklist, Library Journal and Kirkus and it's really rare for those four trade journals to all review any given book 
much less for every single one of them to give it a star. Mm. So I felt really good about the reception that it had. But I will say it's very interesting to release a book, especially your debut novel, in um, a, the midst of a pandemic. Mm. It, um, it, you know, curtailed readings, it curtailed book signings, visiting bookstores, book talks, etc. So everything that I've done, with the exception of one reading that I did live last August, Everything that I've done has been online and I am so grateful <laughs> for Zoom and for podcasts and for people like you. Um, this, this has, you know, really been helpful and it's exposed the book to different audiences. Um, I had also dreamed of, you know, the book tour where my hand starts cramping because I'm signing so many books right. and that hasn't happened. <laughs> I think, you know, COVID is partly to blame for that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, I won't say it's been a mixed bag because it's been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. If I could have chosen not to re release it in a pandemic, I would have released it like a year earlier. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But, um, you know, you play the cards you're dealt. Mm -hmm. um, how long would you say from like start to finish did it take you to write Dark Horses? So that's a little bit of a tale in itself. Um, <laughs> I started writing it, gosh, probably in the early 2000s, but I only wrote like a chapter a year. I hadn't really committed to it. And after four years, I only had two or three chapters. So um, I got turned down for residency and uh, where I thought, oh, I'm going to spend three months in this place, perfect setting, perfect environment, you know, perfect uninterrupted stretch of time, and I'm going to finish my book. So that didn't happen. And when I got that rejection letter, I thought, you know, what am I doing here? If I wait for everything to be perfect, I am never going to finish this book or write another one. So um, I buckled down and I started writing in the evenings after work. Uh, I would come home and have a bowl of writer kibble, which is cereal, which I think is perfect for writers. You know, <laughs> it's no more for us. Um, so I'd have my writer kibble and then I would work for a couple of hours. And um, it, at the end of the first week, I had, I had, you know, produced another chapter, whereas I had only been producing a chapter every year or so. So um, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it again next week. And I did it again the second week and produced more pages. And it was so exciting to get back into the story, to get to know the characters again, to put myself back in that world, which is sort of this, you know, aside from what actually happens to her there, the farm is ideal. You know, Rosemont is, is my dream farm. Right. I wanted to um, visit. And it, <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I, that's where I want to live. Uh, yeah. um, it was just so nice to be with people that I cared about, even though they were characters in a book. Uh, they were very real to me. Somebody, well, my husband says, you know, gosh, writing is such a lonely profession. And it's really not. You know, you do it 
alone, but you're with all these people that you've invented and you're actually in these settings. You know, you can be writing a Christmas scene and it can be in the middle of August and you look up and you're surprised, you know, that you're dripping with sweat and the fan is on because in your mind, you've been back in this very cold December um, in the mountains in Virginia. (laughs) Wow. So it was, it was, I will say it was an obsession. I started you know, refusing to go out for drinks, to meet people for coffee, to have lunch with people, because on weekends, that was like my riding marathon time. It was, it was intense. Mm -hmm. And I loved every minute of it. But it was also a test of endurance. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you really have to maybe everybody, you know, doesn't ring and twist and, you know, sweat over their writing as much as I do. I don't know, but you have to be really committed to it and you have to have a lot of endurance. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, very fitting word for the book. Um, when I was, when I was reading Dark Horses, um, I got that the, a feeling and it's a very similar feeling to when I was reading where the crawdads sing is that while mm-hmm. I was reading it, I was thinking this would be such a good movie. And um, of course now <laughs> uh, where the crawdads <laughs> sing is coming out soon. Um, but tell yeah. me a little bit, like if you were to, um, you know, have this become a movie, do you are, do you have in mm-hmm. mind like who you'd want to play the characters? Um, I kind of flit around in my mind um, with that because, you know, I wrote the book over so many years and then revised and revised and revised that, you know, people who are age appropriate have kind of come and gone. Mm. Um, I think I think she's probably a little old for the part now. But have you ever seen a show called Heartland that's produced in Canada? I think so. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's set on a ranch in Mm. Canada, and I think it's in Alberta. And um, there's a young woman, I can't think of the actress's name, but she plays a character named Georgie, and the kid can really ride. And um, that would be great to have an actress who looks the part, who can also really ride. Mm -hmm. Um, So whoever plays Georgie on Heartland, if you're listening, (laughs) give me a call. Oh, you said Heartland. Okay. Yes, I have watched all of that. (laughs) Yes. 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 Oh, that that would be. My husband calls it that wholesome Canadian show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, I love Heartland. And then what about for Monty? I've had different people in mind over the years for him. Um, I think, you know, a lean, trim Alec Baldwin would be amazing. Wow, yeah. Um, I think Pierce Brosnan could do it now Uh that he has some age on him. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there's no shortage of male actors that mm-hmm. come to mind. Even somebody like Woody Harrelson could do it. Oh, sure. You know, he's a, yeah. a damn good actor. Um, I think Monty will be easier to cast than Roan. And, you know, I hope I have this problem someday. I know. I <laughs> Gosh, love I've got to narrow it down between <laughs> George Clooney and Brad Pitt. What am I, I know. Uh, <laughs> yes, such a problem. Well, I'm happy to be an extra. Yeah. So keep me in mind, Susan. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'll write it into the contract. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, what would you say, obviously, aside from the main character's love for riding and talent to get, you know, to the top of her sport, what role would you say that horses play in the book? 
Jasper, her favorite horse, I think all of her horses really, but particularly Jasper, um, they're confidants for her. She can talk to them. She can tell them everything. She, you know, they're good listeners. She knows it's not going to go anywhere. Um, I think they represent freedom to her, not just um, competition and success and having a great career. I really think she feels those horses in her heart. And, um, and I know in that way, her attachment to the horses isn't necessarily something that you always see in the professional horse world, um, but she's definitely attached to them. They're her freedom, they're her confidence. Um, there's nothing she likes better than riding out on her own. It's, it's who she is in so many ways. Just like the Rosemont Farm is where she lives. It's who she is. She feels that place so deeply. Definitely. Um, I, I just love, and now like after talking to you again, I'm like, Oh, I want to read it again. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Please um, do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is so- right. I know I have my, I've already had two friends from the barn borrow it. So oh, super. they loved it too. <laughs> super. Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking the time and walking me through the book. It's so fun, especially after reading it and enjoying it so much, kind of hearing the behind the scenes, because I mean, there, I'm sure there's so many more details that you have in your head um, that didn't end up on the pages. So kind of hearing the behind the scenes is so cool. I would encourage anyone listening to go get a copy of Dark Horses. It is absolutely incredible. It really got me uh, literally by chapter one, um, just like how Susan, you were talking about um, the reader feeling uncomfortable. Uh, that I did. And it really just pulled me in and I had to hear how Roan got through this, this whole situation that was her life. So um, thank you so much for writing it and bringing awareness to a topic um, that isn't often talked about. Um, So I appreciate everything you're doing and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bethany. I appreciate your having me on. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.